if you haven't been with us, we've been in a series that we've entitled Exploring Ecclesiology, looking uh, at a series that's focused in on the church and the fundamentals of what the church is and what the church is called uh, to do and what it's called to be. And uh, we're in the stretch run of this series. We've got just a couple of weeks left of this series, and uh, we've talked about some important things uh, in regards to the church. Well, what is the church? And uh, we've understood some of the history behind who we are as a church. And we've also talked about uh, what are the marks of a healthy church? Uh, what makes a healthy church member? Things like baptism and communion have been discussed in this series. We've talked about church leaders and the elders of this church and what they're called to and who uh, they are and how they are supposed to live. And and then last week we talked on the subject of church discipline, uh, uh, the ongoing uh, formative uh, correction and, and training of, of our people, even to the point at times when one is wayward, to lovingly go and restore them uh, back to the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we spent a lot of time looking at the church. Well, in these last three weeks that we're going to have starting today, we're going to look at uh, our response to the church. This week we're going to talk on the subject of giving. Uh, next week we're going to talk on the subject of worship. And then the final uh, Sunday, November, I believe, the 15th, uh, we'll be talking about uh, our mission to serve uh, the world around us as well as the body of Christ uh, here in Sugar Grove. And so we'll be finishing up that series uh, in uh, the next couple of weeks. But I'd ask that you would turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. We're going to be going through uh, chapter 8 and part of chapter 9 this morning as we look at uh, the question, uh, what about giving in the church? What is this idea of giving? Why is it that when we come together that, that churches have this tradition, if you will, uh, of giving money to the church? And I want to talk about uh, why that is so important. As you look, of course, uh, a church is like any other organization. It has buildings, it has staff, it has uh, resources and involvement that all need money uh, to move and to be able to uh, be effective in the world today. But the question is not so much why does there need to be giving, but the question is what is God calling us to in the area of giving? Well, when we talk on the subject of giving, we can go to one uh, of two extremes, if you will. The first extreme uh, is that uh, the preacher can get up and, and he can just nail the pulpit and, and tell you and guilt you into giving, that you have to give. And if you don't give, uh, God's going to deal with you harshly and, and the church may as well. Uh, one of my uh, friends that lives in the neighborhood that I uh, live in uh, will not go to church. I've invited him to come to church, to be a part of church. And he says, I will not go. And I say, why won't you? What, what is it about church? And he says, Tim, when, when I was about your age or maybe a little younger, our church was in the process of building uh, a new uh, sanctuary and uh, a new church building. And uh, what happened was is they asked for commitments and very similar to our journey of faith where we ask for commitments for people to give over a three-year time frame. And I said, well, what happened? He says, well, my son got sick and uh, we fell behind on our uh, giving payments, if you will, to the church. And I said, well, that's understandable. And, and I remember uh, hearing some of the stories about their youngest son uh, having some illnesses. And he said, then work got real slow. And he said, uh, there were some months that I wasn't able to give at all. And, and he said, uh, I... I, I felt terrible every time I went into the church. And, and he says, but boy, that, that got even worse. And I said, well, what happened? He says, one day I went to church and in the bulletin, I found my name in the bulletin of those who are in default 
to their building fund giving. And he said, that day, he says, I got up in the middle of the service and I said, I will never go into a church again. I said, wow. I said, that, I can understand the frustration. I can understand uh, the embarrassment. That, that is, that's, that's no good. And that, that's one extreme. We can, we can talk about giving and, and the church can guilt you and say, oh, if you don't do this, you need to feel terrible about who you are and how can you call yourself a believer if you're not giving? Uh, the other extreme, I saw it this morning as I was getting ready. I was watching a, a TV preacher, not one that I would uh, uh, tell you to watch. But uh, uh, this guy was talking about giving amidst a recession. And that's part of what my message is today. And, uh, and so I, I thought maybe for a moment I might get some pointers, maybe an illustration or a story that may just hit the mark today. And uh, I didn't like anything he said. Uh, he was on the TV wearing a, a couple thousand dollar suit in this mega church. And, uh, and he began to just beat the pulpit that telling them, you gotta give. Admits the recession. I said, okay, that's, that's good. That's good. And then he did what, what Keith talked about this morning. He says, because God wants to make you rich. God wants to make you so rich, but you have to have faith to give. Well, let me tell you something. Um, there's a lot of people who have been giving all their lives in this church and faithfully ministering. And, and I'll tell you, none of them are driving Mercedes or Bentleys or anything like that, unlike this preacher that I was watching on TV. But uh, the, the goodness and the, and the gifts that come are not riches of monetary funds. We look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and the people of faith, the people that not only gave of their money, but gave of their time, they even gave of their lives. And the Bible says they did not receive a reward that was made from this earth, but they were looking forward to a reward in heaven. And so the other extreme that we can get into is, is not guilt people, but tell people that if they give, so much more will come back. My friends, that is of the devil. That is from the pit. Because our, our pursuit of, of the rewards should not be the rewards of this earth. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear in the book of Matthew that we are not to lay up treasures for ourselves where moth and rust can destroy, but we are to store up our treasures in heaven. And so what is the balance? The balance is, is quite simple. When it comes to giving, we're called to give. We as people of God who have been changed by the grace of Jesus Christ are called to give. We're going to talk about that this morning. But we also need to recognize that that giving comes out of our hearts. You know, one of the reasons why um, early on in this church uh, the passing of the plate was, was done away with was the idea that we wanted people back in that point to be able to give out of their own hearts, not to have any kind of external um, element that would force people or, or cause or coerce people to be able to uh, take care of uh, their um, priority of giving. And so what they began to do early on in this church's history was they said, we're going to give, we're going to give to the Lord. And it's important that we give, but we're going to put boxes on the back wall. And to this day, we've done that. And even in tough times like we're facing today, uh, I was sharing with uh, some that were a part of the meeting on Friday that we've never missed a payment here at this church. We've never had to let anybody go because of uh, the inability to pay. God has been incredibly faithful. And we're so very excited about that. And so uh, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians. And I want us to understand some things. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we are going to learn about God's blueprint for giving. 
And it comes, which I love, it comes at a most difficult time economically for a church. It comes at a point where we're going to learn about these Macedonians in the Macedonian church who are struggling. Now, there's no um, uh, reason for me to talk about the economy at this point. We, we see it on TV every day. We're in the midst of a very difficult recession. Some economists say it's the worst recession since the Great Depression. And so this is the, uh, the toughest time financially that we've seen in over 70 years. And we've got people that have uh, had 401ks turn into 201ks, and some of you only have a K left. And, uh, and you look and you sit there and say, where is the hope uh, of what tomorrow is going to come? We have people who are uh, struggling because they have been let go from work. We have people who have lost hours. And as a result of that, they find themselves not able to uh, live as they once did. Some have been without jobs for some time and there's no uh, job in sight. And without dismissing the great discouragement and distress that that can bring, I want us to always make sure amidst our trials we're able to praise God because we have a lot of people out of work right now. We have a lot of people that have been cut back where where bonuses, where people relied on uh, before are no longer there. And yet I have not heard and I've not seen in the prayer updates that anybody is out on the streets, that anybody's missing out on food, that there isn't enough money to take care of them, to put clothes on their back and to take care of the needs But we've got it so well, even amidst a great recession. I did some research just to kind of bring this into perspective because some people will say, Tim, uh, you shouldn't talk about giving when money is bad. Well, Paul did, and that's a great example of why we should as well. And we need to remember that while our circumstances may be bad, there are far more people that have it much worse than we do. In fact, the World Bank defines moderate poverty in our world as basic subsistence living, which means living on $1 to $2 a day. Nearly all, or nearly half of all the world's population today lives on such an income. That would mean about 3.2 billion people live on less than $2 a day. To give you some understanding of how good we have it, even amidst a recession, each year over 8 million people die because they're just too poor to stay alive. More than 800 million people will go hungry today. The gross domestic product, the the total uh, economy of the poorest 48 nations is less than the wealth of the uh, world's three richest people. 30,000 children will die today because of hunger or, or treatable diseases or illnesses. And 6 million children will die every year before their fifth birthday as a result of malnutrition. My friends, we've got it so good. Amen? We've got it so good. And so many times we look at what Peter calls, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what Paul calls light and momentary trials. And we begin to build them up. And my friends, we do have trials in our lives. But let us remember uh, what God has done in our lives. Let us remember the good that God has sustained us. One of the poorest people in America would be the richest in half of the world. We live in such a wonderful country that has been so blessed that we need to remember those things. We need to remember those things. Now, it's very difficult for us as people to talk on the subject of giving when, when, when finances are tough. I recognize that. Not only am I, I sound like uh, George Zimmer, not am I only a uh, pastor, 
but I also run a small business. I recognize uh, the cutbacks. I recognize the ongoing feeling of, of dread, worrying about having to lay off uh, some of my employees. I've seen the business shrivel up and, and try to continue on. I recognize where each of you are at. Uh, but God doesn't call us just to uh, follow him when it's easy. God doesn't just call us to follow him when everything is planned out just as we would expect it to be. But in times, amidst even the greatest of recessions, even depressions, God calls us uh, to follow him. And he gives us a great example this morning, which I'd ask that you would stand as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. It says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So when er, so we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring about to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Now it says, and here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved when you are hard-pressed, but that there may be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. Even amidst a time of great struggle financially, we can uh, look to your word and know uh, that you have spoken to us in involving these circumstances. Lord, I pray for our flock. I pray for uh, the people under your care that you would speak to them this morning. Father, I pray that it would not come from a guilt-ridden message nor a message that promises health, wealth, and prosperity, but one that would be balanced through saying only what your word says. Father, we do pray for those that are struggling, who are out of work or find themselves running short uh, to meet the daily requirements. And Father, we pray that all those who find themselves in those circumstances would turn in their great trial uh, to you and, and pursue you and seek your wisdom and guidance. And Father, that they would praise you amidst the storm of financial difficulty. And Lord, that we would become, just as been written and been read today, that we would become like the Macedonians. 
who though they were poor, Lord, they gave. And they gave out of the abundance of their heart far more than they were ever asked to. Lord, I pray that we would be a Macedonian people as well, giving even when it's difficult to your glory and honor so that your name will be magnified throughout all the earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians. It's the second letter that he's written to the Corinthian church. And he gives this example. It has been said that an example, a testimony, sometimes is exactly what people need for major issues in their lives to be changed. Now we see that many times as we have people come up and share testimonies of how God has worked in their lives. And it begins to do far more than a sermon would ever be able to do because you hear of someone who has struggled, who has fought hard over an issue or a trial in their life and how they have found victory. And that's what Paul does with this Macedonian people as he writes the second letter to the Corinthians. And he tells them that amidst their times of struggle, amidst the difficulties that they have, that they're called to give. Well, be able to give like the Macedonians. We need to understand a couple things about giving. The first thing I want us to look at this morning is we must understand God's perspective when it comes to giving. What is God's perspective? What does God say on the subject? Well, early on in the Old Testament, in the writings of the Old Testament, we see God's perspective. We see what God says in the area of giving. You see, all throughout uh, the Old Testament, we see uh, God calling his people to give. He's calling them to give. At the beginning of uh, his interaction with Abraham, God calls Abraham to give a tithe. 10% of what he has, we see that, of course, in in the great exodus of the children of Israel, uh, that they were to give a tithe of their grain and of all that they've made to give to the Lord. Uh, This tithe was only one part of it. They would be asked to give, uh, in God's perspective, even more to the health and wealth of those who were struggling, Uh, to the almsgiving, if you will, the giving of the widows and the orphans. We see that type of giving being done in the story of Ruth, where Boaz shares his field with those who have no field, who have no crops, so that they may have food. You see, God's perspective on giving is of such great importance throughout the Old Testament that we see even in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, God addresses his people because they're not giving. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But they asked, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruits, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God's perspective on giving doesn't start in the New Testament. It goes throughout the Old Testament from the beginning to the end. Now, in the New Testament, we see a shift. We see a shift from the idea of tithing uh, to more extravagant giving. 
Now, not that tithing was abolished or tithing is not a good uh, plan, but God seems to go even farther with his perspective in the teachings of Jesus. Now, we know this and we see this because Jesus uh, shares a couple different stories or there's a couple interactions with Jesus. First is where Jesus is in the temple and he looks to where uh, the money is collected each day at the temple and he sees a widow. A widow who has nothing in this world except for two mites, the old story tells us. And Jesus sees that widow give two mites, nothing of great value. And very similar, it would be like one of our children taking a couple pennies and throwing them in the box. Uh, nothing that's going to do great things for a budget and nothing that is going to uh, really move us in a great direction to dealing with some of the deficits that we have. And Jesus says, amidst all the richness, uh, riches uh, that the rich have given, uh, this widow has given so much more. It was far more than a tithe because that's all she had. And then there's a story that is told uh, of uh, Jesus' ministry where he is in a home and a woman comes and she takes a, a, a fragrant, expensive bottle of perfume, something that would be used over the years. And this woman breaks open uh, the bottle of it and pours it all over Jesus and perfumes Jesus. And the disciples are angry. They said, why would you give such a thing? Why would you do such a thing? That money could have been used and it could have been sold. That perfume could have, and it could have been used to take care uh, of those that are in need. And Jesus says she's offering it as a gift of worship, which would be a foretelling of Jesus' death burial uh, that would take place and and the spices that would be used to uh, minister uh, to his body and and cover uh, the stench of death. And yet Jesus says she has done right. She has served right. And so in the New Testament, we see that it's not just a tithe. It's not just 10%. Here's your 10% God, and that's it. But God goes far beyond that in the teachings of Jesus to say that our giving should be extravagant and not just a percentage that is given. And then there's Paul. Paul writes to the Corinthians in a time of great struggle. Now, we learn from commentaries and historians that there were two things that were causing this great struggle of finances at the time. There was a famine in the area of Judea from A.D. 40 to A.D. 45 or there within a couple years. And this famine, of course, in an agrarian society had drastic uh, effects on the local economy. The second thing that was so big, especially in the area of Jerusalem, was that we know from the writings of the book of Acts that there was a great persecution that happened. And that's what dispersed all the Christians out to the far reaches of the known world. And in Jerusalem, great persecution had broken out. And the book of Acts says that Christians were losing their home and their possessions. They were losing their jobs for the cause of Christ. Because people say, I don't want a Christian working for me. I don't want a Christian to live on my property. And so they would find themselves with nothing because of their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And you would think that Paul's writings would have been, you know what, I know things are tough. And and one of the ways that you can really help yourself is to just not give. But that's not what Paul says. Paul addresses the Corinthian church who had been so eager to give one year prior to this in first, in the, in his letter to the, uh, writing of first Corinthians. In fact, in ver, uh, chapter 16, it tells us that he speaks about now the collection for God's people. At the end of his letter, he addresses the need to collect the money that had been asked of them. 
But now 2 Corinthians is written. A year has taken place where there's been no collection made. Even though they had said they would give, no giving had been done. Now, Paul knew the Corinthian situation. He knew that even in the area of Corinth, there were great struggles. That no Christians found themselves to be with uh, an exorbitant amount of money. And so they find themselves struggling. Now, he could have said, you know what? Hey, things are tough. Why don't you just lick your wounds and, and just try to survive? And it's every man for himself right now. You see, that's what we do a lot of times in financial struggles like we see today. We find ourselves saying, I'll take care of myself, you take care of yourself. But that goes against the very nature of the teaching of what God's word says. And yet what Paul tells the Corinthians is he says, you know what? God's called you to give. You even yourselves have committed to give, but nothing has come. Let me tell you about the Macedonians. The Macedonians are in great poverty. And they find themselves with nothing. The scripture says extreme circumstances, extreme poverty they gave. Not only gave out of what they had, but far more than anybody would have expected them to. They got God's perspective on giving. You see, sometimes we miss out on the perspective that God has. What caused the Macedonians to live like that? What caused the Macedonians to give like that? They understood God's idea on the subject of giving. They were in tune with it. They understood that God had been the great giver of all good things. That he had given them so much. He had lavished them with so many good things. And they recognized that the gift was to be used. There are times when we are given gifts, uh, we lose our perspective. We don't understand the very nature of what that gift is all about. A story is told of a man who was well-to-do, who enjoyed uh, buying his father unusual and exotic gifts for Christmas. And since cost was no object, the man would go out and get his father just the perfect gift. One year he bought his father an antique car that would cost thousands of dollars. Another Christmas he gave him a whole hand gliding equipment set. But one particular Christmas this man found a gift his father would truly see as unique and fun. A talking bird that could speak five languages and could sing the yellow rose of Texas standing on one foot. This bird was so unusual and so talented that he knew his father would be so well known as a result of being the owner of this bird. Because of its great talent, it would cost the man $20,000. But he didn't mind because he felt his father was worth the gift no matter the cost. So he purchased the bird and he sent it to his father for Christmas. A few days later, as Christmas had come and he had gone over to celebrate the great holiday with his father, he was so excited to go and see how much his father was enjoying this unique and expensive gift. So he knocked on the door and he said, the first thing that came to his mind, Dad, did you get my present? The father, gleaming, says, I sure did, son. Well, how did you like it? He said, it was the best bird I've ever eaten. Sometimes we don't understand the expense of something, nor do we understand how to use the gift. That gift wasn't given to be eaten. That gift was given to enjoy and to be a a picture of a son's love for a father. But just like that father, we sometimes misunderstand what God's perspective is on giving. There's a couple of things we need to understand about God's perspective. The first thing we need to understand when it comes to God's um 
perspective on giving is that God recognizes, and we too, uh, we should as well, is that He is the supplier of all that we have. God is the supplier of all that we have. Do you recognize today that everything you have in this world, anything of physical things that, that you have bought or you are, are in your possession, anything that you have uh, from health and, and from your ability to live life is a gift from God? Do you recognize that this morning? That is a fundamental understanding of us as Christians. Because if we don't understand that God is the supplier that of all that we have, then we ourselves become, by nature, God ourselves. We are the one who gives. We are the one who takes care of ourselves. Who needs God when we can take care of ourselves? The scriptures are full of passages that talk about that. Turning your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, all the way to the front of the Bible, you'll find the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. This is what God says regarding what He owns. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Turn a page back to Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 and 18. This is God speaking to his people again. You may say to yourselves, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. You may think you're the one putting this all together. You're the one that's making the deals. But it is God that does it. The book of James in the New Testament tells us something very similar. James 1.17 says the following. It says this. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. We need to understand that the first under, the first thing we have to know as believers is God is the giver of all things. He owns everything. He owns everything that you have and everything that everyone else has. And he is the one who gives it. He is the one who supplies it. The Macedonians understood this. Why were they able to give out of poverty? Because it wasn't their 401k that fell apart. It was God's 401k. It wasn't their finances that were struggling. It was God's finances that were struggling. And they were living faithful and right lives because they knew that God was the giver of all things. Now, the next thing we need to understand is that we are the stewards of what is given. We are the stewards of what he gives. The definition of stewardship, we use this word often, is simply this. It is the conducting supervision or managing of something that has been entrusted to your care. Well, if God is the giver of all that we have then we are to be stewards. God has given us something. It's not ours, it's his. What he has given us for a season, the job of managing it. Children are uh, are to be managed because they're God's kids. They're not ours. We've got them on loan from God. And our job as parents is to raise them up, to love them, to nurture them, and to care them. So we can, at one day, whether it's 18 or 38, give them back to the Lord and to allow them to serve the Lord and honor Him with their lives. 
And see, we see here that the, this issue of stewardship is of great importance. If God owns everything and we're called to manage it, the question then is, how will we manage it? This was huge in Jesus' ministry. When Jesus taught, he didn't just teach on money. In fact, a lot of people say that there's more scriptures on money uh, than there is most everything else like heaven and hell. I would uh, reword that a bit because it's not entirely true. God spoke on stewardship more than he did on things like heaven and hell. And stewardship's a lot different than just money. Stewardship talks about what we are doing with what God has given. Some of us need to be called to a greater stewardship when it comes to the gifts that God has given us. Some of us need to be better stewards when it comes to the testimony that we share with the world that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us need to be better stewards of the word of God and studying and and, and understanding what the word of God has to say. And Jesus would talk about this. He had the parables of the talents, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the hidden treasure, and the parable of the great pearl. God, in all of these parables, is seen as the one who gives so much. And the question is, what will we do in response? God is the supplier, and we are the steward. Let me ask you today, if Christ was to come, and if you will, just like the banks get very often an audit done, what would your stewardship audit look like? Would it be something where Jesus would say, well done, good and faithful servant, you have done well with a little, now I will put you in charge of much, come and celebrate in your master's happiness, would that be the response? Because that's the first response we see in these parables. The master goes away and he comes back and there's a reckoning, there's an auditing that is being done. And the question that is brought up to each of these people is, what have you done with what I've given you? And the first response is that he celebrates and he affirms and he promotes those that have done well. But then there are those who do nothing, who find themselves doing nothing with what God has given. And to be honest with you, it's pretty grim words. He says, take the worthless servant out and take him out where there is darkness and gnashing of teeth. You see, there's a day of reckoning coming where we as believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the question at that judgment will not be our salvation, but it will be our stewardship. Not just of money. The question won't be, what did you give in the church? That may be a part of it. But what did you do in this body to serve because of all that I've given you? We need to understand God's perspective. Next, we need to understand the guiding principles. The guiding principles of giving. When we give ourselves to the Lord, then everything else falls into place. Everything else falls into place. You see, when we start thinking about giving as money, then we've got the wrong perspective. We've got the wrong perspective. You see, when we start talking about external ways to manipulate people into giving, as helpful as they may be, let me assure you of this. Giving has to do with the heart. It has to do with the heart. People say, is it hard to talk on the subject of giving? I say, no, it's obedience. Every week we talk about obedience. Just a different ball game today. It's same same game, just different ballpark. It's the same. It's obedience. Obedience to God and what he has given to us. Well, our text gives us some understandings of what it means on this guiding principle of giving. First of all, we need to understand some things from the text. Number one, giving is about our mission, not about our money. Giving is about mission, not about our money. Notice verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Let's stop there. The first thing that Paul says is, hey, we want you to hear about something. Not the Macedonians, but notice what the text says, the grace of God. 
You see, when we add that phrase to that verse, what Paul says is, hey, what the Macedonians are doing is a response from the grace of God. As we as Christians celebrate the grace of God, we remember that we were sinners and now we're saved. We remember we were lost and now we're found. We remember that we were blind, but now we can see. And as a result of that grace that God has given us, out of the overflow of that grace, we have given. Not only are we to do that, but our mission is to go out into the world and to tell others about that. Well, how do we do that? We do that through uh, the speaking of, of the gospel. We do that by giving as our missionaries and as ministries go out from this place. People will say, well, how can you uh, serve in this way? What has brought you here? And people can say there, there's a church in Sugar Grove that is giving of what they have so that I can find myself uh, serving the God and telling you about the gospel. The Macedonians found themselves because of the grace of God, not because of who they were, but because of God's grace able to give out of the over overflow of their poverty. Notice the second thing that we see that we must understand about giving. It's it's about our commitment, not our circumstances. Out of the most severe trial, verse 2 says, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. They did not give as we expected, but they gave themselves first to God and then to us in keeping with God's will. Paul says, hey, the Macedonians have it rough. One commentary says that the Macedonians found themselves begging. And the first thing I would think of if I thought about that phrase was that they weren't begging, uh, I'm sorry, they were begging uh, for help and uh, people to come alongside them. They were begging for money, but that's not what the Macedonians were doing. They were begging for the opportunity to give. How different is that than us in our Western culture? That we find ourselves in that many times giving is done out of duty. Giving is done out of guilt. Giving is done for every other reason. And there's very few that will say, I give and I want to give more. Show me where the areas are at that I can give out of the abundance of what God has given me. For us, many of us build our idea of giving on our circumstances. And that's true to some points. I can never give out of uh, the wealth of Bill Gates. Bill Gates has far more money than I could. I could never uh, tell you in my certain, in my uh, particular circumstances now that I'd give a million dollars to the church. I don't have a million dollars. But that's not what God's calling them to. God's, God's saying give of what you have. And it says the Macedonians went beyond that. They give even of the, what they didn't have. The idea here was that they found ways to sacrifice. They found ways to be able to give even out of the times of poverty. For us, we can't give out of our circumstances, but we must give out of a commitment to our God. Notice what the text says. They gave themselves first to God. My friends, that is the issue of giving. You have to give yourselves first to God and then let the circumstances play out. The next thing that we see is that giving is about eternity. It's not about our expenses. The Macedonians understood that there was something greater waiting for them in eternity. I love what C.S. Lewis says about the issue of our things that we uh, pay for and the things that we have in our lives. He says that anything that is not eternal is is eternally useless. Let me say that again. Anything in our lives that is not eternal is eternally worthless or useless. 
The Bible makes it clear in Psalm 127 that if we build a house and the Lord is not in it, we labor in vain, those who build it. Let me ask you a question this morning. What expenses do you have on your uh, bank uh, check uh, report that tells you that you're laboring for the Lord? What things are of eternal value? What things are of the greatest focus? That doesn't mean you don't have expenses. I'm not telling you not to have a house or a car or any of those things. But let me ask you the question, what is eternal that you're giving to? The Bible says that in, in the end of this world, everything will be destroyed. All that you've worked for, all that you've put together, all these things will be destroyed. Some of us have seen that. We've saved for years and we've had the savings account in the stock market that is, man, we're worth millions of dollars. In one day, in one day, it said that the, uh, the world economy lost three trillion dollars of wealth. Three trillion dollars. It can be gone in a flash. What is of eternal focus? Can you say your house is eternal? Can you say your cars? Can you say even things like education and that? Are those eternal? Again, those aren't bad. We need to do those things and have those things. But what we are giving towards must be of eternal value. And so when we look at the trials that we have, the struggles that we have, Paul says these are light and momentary trials. Why? Because they're not eternal. They're a couple years and they may be a lifetime, but what's 70 years in the respect to eternity? The next thing that we see is that giving is about dedication, not just desire. Notice what the text says. It says, here's my advice in verse 10 of what is best for you in this matter. Last you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your completion of it according to its means. For if willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. The idea here is that not only is giving uh, important when it comes to the desire we have, the Bible says in a chapter later that God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to have a desire. God wants us to be excited about giving. But it also means that we need to dedicate ourselves to it. There are some here today, and I don't mean to offend, but you give only when there's a need. You give only when you have a desire to do so, and that's good. That's good to follow God's way in that. But God calls us to systematic giving and ongoing giving. And while he loves to see any of his children giving to the cause of Christ, we need to understand that God calls his people to ongoing daily commitment, not just in obedience to God, but obedience in our giving to God and our using of our gifts to God. It is every day. It's not just when we desire it. You just don't serve God when you feel like it, but you serve God even in the difficult times. The Macedonians got this, and they understood the importance of following God in the area of giving, not just when they desire to do so but when it got tough and they found themselves having to stay dedicated to it the corinthian church had not things got tough and they held back on their gift to the church in jerusalem the final thing we see is giving is about our faith not our finances the macedonians had made a dedicated choice of whom they were going to follow notice what it says in verse 8 For I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Notice what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Understand this. Our giving is not about our finances. 
It has nothing to do with that. The question has, are you giving because of what God has given you? Giving is all about gratitude. Do you live a life of gratitude? God has given you so much. God has loved you and saved you and ministered to you and taken care of your needs and covered all of the issues that you have to worry about. God has given you an eternal answer to every question that you have. You struggle with a health concern, God says one day you won't worry about that. You struggle with the trials of life, God says one day you won't worry about that because I've given my son. And the question is, just at the end of chapter 9, will we cry out to God and say, thanks be to God for his um, inexpressible gift. The idea is his indescribable gift. Will we stand there and say, thank you, God, for what you've done? It's all about faith. Do we believe God is going to meet us if we give? Well, that leaves me to one last point, and that is point number three, the godly practices of our giving. I want you to turn for a moment back to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is what Paul wrote to this church at Corinth. And this is what he says. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so I have no collections. So when I come, no collections will have to be made. What do we need to understand about the practices of giving? First of all, we need to understand that it needs to be planned. Notice what he says, the first day of the week, the first day of the week. If you are not finding yourself giving right now, I want to challenge you that you would commit to a systematic nature of giving. You say, but Tim, finances are difficult. Finances are tough. I understand that. As one who's a part of a small business, I get paid when the money comes in. I don't get paid every week like the payroll is done when I pay my people. I have to wait sometimes, sometimes six, eight weeks before a paycheck comes in. But I will tell you, my wife and I give every two weeks. And sometimes that's very difficult. And sometimes that means we have to hold off on some of the wants or desires that we have or maybe some of the things that we've been planning for because we have committed to God that no matter where our circumstances are at, we're going to give. We're going to give. It needs to be planned. It says that we set aside money. And when we come to the church on the first day of the week, we are to give that sum of money. Notice the second thing that it says. It's to be personal. So it's planned and it's to be personal. It says each one of you. My friends, this isn't something that only uh, certain Christians have to do. All of us have to do it. One of the things that just drives me nuts is when I hear that pastors say, well, I give so much of my time and my energy, I don't need to give. Baloney! It doesn't say that each of you except for the staff members or the pastors have to give. We're all called to give. God's called us to plan it. God's told us to personally give it. It's nobody else's business. We're to give it as, uh, as if our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. The final thing is it needs to be done in proportion with our income. You can't give what you do not have, but I will ask you the question this morning. Can you say that your giving is in proportion with your income? I, I love uh, my friend John Armstrong, what he says about giving. He says, many times we give, uh, if service is bad, we will only give 15% to our waiter or our waitress. And yet if you were to tell the normal Christian that 15% is what they are to be given, they would think that to be extravagant. Yet when it comes to a human being who maybe was untimely in the giving of your food, you give them 5% more than what you would think is the bare uh, bones of what a Christian should give. We have our, our issues all messed up. We have our idea and our thoughts all messed up. 
Can you say that God, in light of what God has given you, that you have given in proportion to what he has given you? If you haven't, then there's some work that needs to be done in the area of your giving. The final thing I want you to put down is that you need to give prayerfully. Write that somewhere in your outlines. You know, the church is struggling. We're looking at, at some, uh, some deficits right now. And we understand that the times are tough. But we recognize, we recognize, we recognize that God will meet our needs, that God will sustain us. But how does he do it? He does it through his people. And so I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to be getting a letter. If you haven't gotten it already, you're going to receive it here in the next couple days. That's going to tell you exactly where the church is at and the needs that we have. You see the need that we have each week, around $16,000 each week is needed to be given to sustain this church. And we've fallen short of that many weeks. I don't want to guilt you. I don't want to tell you what you have to do. I don't want to promise you that God's going to do awesome things with your finances. But I want to ask you, are each of us giving in proportion to what God has given us? Are we giving out of what God has showered upon us with his grace and mercy? And if you can pray and you can say, you know what, this is where God has left me and it's less than what I was giving before, then by God's grace, that's what you give. If it can be more, then follow God's leading. Because the ministry needs uh, the resources so that we can continue to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only serving you, the church, but the world around us. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your word amidst troubled times that we can go to it and understand uh, what you've taught us to do. Lord, we've looked at an example today, the Corinthians and the Macedonians and the two responses that were given. Father, I pray that we would be Macedonians in our giving this morning. Father, that we would go before you, not out of guilt, not out of pressure, but out of our love for you, that we would pursue you and pursue uh, your grace. That grace would be seen in our lives. That we'd give ourselves over to you first. And then we would give of our time and talents and our treasures. That we would go out and we would do what all that we can to serve you. That we would find ways not just to comfort ourselves and minister to ourselves, but find ways to minister to others. Lord, these Macedonians gave out of the poverty of their lives. And out of their extreme poverty, they gave with great generosity. Father, that we would be known as a generous people. That we would give above and beyond uh, what we would ever think would be enough. Not because we want a a pin on our lapel, uh, but Lord, uh, that we would do it because you've given us so much. So Lord, let us live in light of that gratitude as we leave this place, as we head to our, our Bible fellowships and to our Sunday school classes, that we would be different because of the grace you've given, that we would be so thankful for the inexpressible and indescribable gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, honor, and praise in all that we say, in all that we do, in all that we give. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen.